All right. Exodus chapter four, starting at verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? The staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and strike it and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous, and it became as white as snow. How many of you know throwing the stick on the ground is a much easier illustration than your hand becoming leprous? But God uses both of them equally. We're always searching for the stick we can throw down. It freaks us out when he actually uses us physically, doesn't it? Just remember that. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you, pay attention to the first sign. They may believe the second, but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you and speak. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I mean, this is like a 10-minute conversation. Moses already torqued him off. He says, what about your brother, Aaron? I know he can speak well. See what Moses got all now? He's comparing me to my brother again. I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak with him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Father, we thank you for your word. It has the infinite ability to change us pray it does that today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. Some of you uh, have heard this story a lot. Others, uh, maybe not so much. But I think, I think there's something in it that uh, God has given us today that may be a little different from what you've seen before uh, in this scripture. The story of Moses is, is pretty famous. It's wasn't Charlton Heston Moses? And then we, uh, the Prince of Egypt. Everybody likes, that was Disney, right? DreamWorks. Everybody likes a secular rendition of biblical truth. And so uh, the story has become famous over, over time because it's a dramatic story. It's an impressive one where, where it seems like one man is leading a whole nation out of captivity. And, and so the story actually starts earlier in the book of Exodus where Moses, Moses is born and he's unfortunately born into a difficult season in, 
in the Hebrew uh, history. He is born into a time where Pharaoh has become anxious about the rise uh, of the Israelite nation and about their race raising up within Egypt. And so he's made a decree that all male babies born to Hebrew women should be tossed into the river, regardless if they have had swimming lessons yet. And it was going to be his way to euthanize all Hebrew boys because what happened if you back up a long time before this, um, Egypt, Joseph had been sold into slavery and he ends up in Egypt under Pharaoh and he interprets a dream for Pharaoh. Seven good years are coming, seven bad years are coming. Stock up for the seven good years and God will get you through the seven bad years. And Pharaoh says, that's a great idea. Why don't you fulfill it? Make it happen. So Joseph comes out of captivity and ends up being second in charge of Egypt. And so all of the Hebrew people at that time, the Israelites, if you want to call them that, all find themselves, because of this great famine, in Egypt. And they settle in the land of Egypt. And it's all cool until uh, there comes a day where there was a pharaoh in charge that did not know Joseph. How many of you know it's good to name drop until the name you're dropping nobody knows anymore? Hey, remember, I know him. They're like, nobody knows him anymore. So all of a sudden, the Hebrews found themselves in dire straits, and the current Pharaoh is deciding there's, they are multiplying too quickly. If you back up a couple chapters in Exodus, you find out that the Hebrew women were vigorous. The Bible says, and they could have babies before the midwives even got there. That was not our experience with our first one. It took forever. So, in response to the vigorousness of the Hebrew women, he makes a decree, just toss the babies into the water. So Moses' mom gives birth to him. The Bible says that she thought he was special, which is not uncommon for all women who give birth to ugly babies. <laughs> Can we just be real? The dad's over there going, ah, I mean, it's okay. Is it going to look like that for very long? <laughs> Our first child was in the birth canal so long that it came out cone-headed, and it didn't help that they used these big whatever metal things and she put her foot up on the bed and was pulling on them. And, uh, and I just thought, okay, she's going to pull my baby's head off before we even get to hug it. So then Madeline had a mohawk for the first six months of her life because uh, it took so long. But anyway, Moses' mom thought he was special. So the Bible says that she formed a basket out of papyrus and put tar and pitch on it and puts him down into the water. Now, technically, she was obeying directions. The thing that we overlook sometimes is that the Bible says that Moses' sister, presumably Miriam, was standing back watching the whole thing happen, watching Moses float down the gentle Nile River and bounce in and out of the reeds and the grass. And she kind of, you could see the picture of her walking down beside the river, watching him float, wondering, What's going to happen to him? And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that he floats into the view of Pharaoh's daughter who is bathing in the river. And she notices it because if any of you have had three-month-old three babies, you know they cry incessantly. 
even if they are called by God. So they never shut up. You can't even threaten them. We're going to have to throw you in the river if you're not quiet. So Pharaoh's daughter notices him, sends some servants to go get it. And who is there but Moses' sister? And she runs up. She says, hey, I've got an idea. And she doesn't give too much information away. She doesn't say, hey, my mom just dropped the baby off in the river upstream, hoping you'd find it. She just says, hey, do you want me to go find somebody that can nurse the baby? And they say, well, sure. So she runs back and gets her mom. And now the baby she was afraid of losing is going to be raised under the care of Pharaoh's daughter. And his very own mother is going to raise him up. It's a miracle story, isn't it? So now Moses, they believe, was probably indoctrinated by his mother up to about the age of 12. You got to believe that she was like, Moses, we're living in here, but don't forget. Don't forget that you're a Hebrew, that God has called you. This is a miraculous event. Nobody could overlook it. But then Moses also had the benefit of growing up in Pharaoh's household. So the Bible says that when he reaches about 40 years old, he starts to associate himself with the Hebrew people. And by this time, they were under great oppression from the Egyptians. They were being driven into slavery and and hard labor put on their backs. So Moses one day goes out watching the people, and he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he steps into the middle of the situation, and he ends up killing the Egyptian. Now listen... The issue here is is that Moses was a Hebrew, but all the Hebrews had seen him do up to this point in time is associate with Egyptians. So he's still not one of them. So they're skeptical about they're skeptical about his relationships and his commitment and where it's going. So what happens is he comes out another day and there's two Hebrews fighting, and when he goes to break those two guys up, they they look at him and they say, Hey, listen, are you gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian? Because they didn't realize that his allegiance was with them. So now Moses all of a sudden realizes that the story's out. He starts to panic. And he flees. Pharaoh tries to kill him. He runs off. At around 40 years of age, he finds himself on the backside of the desert. He does what any good red-blooded Hebrew would do, and he finds himself a good woman. Gets married. His father-in-law's name is Jethro. And the Bible says that he will spend the next 40 years herding sheep. I want you to remember that. That's going to be important later. Herding sheep. He wasn't a cattle farmer. He wasn't. He was herding sheep. So then we fast forward to the scripture we read just a few minutes ago. And we find out that God has appeared to Moses doing what Moses did every day, herding sheep for the last 40 years. Now he's about 80 years of age, and and now God has appeared to him in a miraculous way. The bush is burning, but it's not consumed. God comes to him and says, take your your shoes off. Uh, You're standing on holy ground. And he says, "This this is what I've called you to do. I want you to go lead my people. And Moses responds to him and says, surely you've got the wrong guy. And that's where we pick it up. You know, life can get average really quick, can it? Think about it. You, uh, you know, when you're a kid, everything's brand new. Everything's exciting. I remember growing up, we were so poor that my mom took a bike one time that I had been ridden for like five years, spray painted the whole thing, gave it to my brother for Christmas. 
<laughs> it was brand new. It was exciting. You graduate high school, you go to the commencement ceremonies, and, you know, it's like the biggest accomplishment. We'll never do anything greater. This is awesome. And all the adults are like, oh, you're a poor kid. But what happens is the excitement of getting married, maybe, of the new job, maybe the first child. And then life does something to us all. This is a season my wife and I are in. It's just the same thing, right? What are you going to do tomorrow? Same thing I did today. Thank you, Lord. But we don't say thank you, Lord, very often in that season, do we? Because oftentimes you find yourself in a situation that you didn't expect. Oftentimes you find yourself with teenagers. Hmm. And you're thinking, what sin did I commit? In my life, to this point, to deserve what I'm getting right now. What, what, great, what great act against God did he punish me with these kids? And so we get up every day and we start bemoaning the fact that our life is the same as it was the day before. And maybe the same it was for the last 20 years. Not much has changed. We get up, we go to work, we deal with problems, we handle kids. And all of a sudden, the same time of year comes around and everybody's got to be thankful. And we start forcing ourselves into this Thanksgiving. We start saying, man, you know, I want to be thankful, but it looks the same as it did last year. It just looks the same. It's, uh, it's what it is. And I can, on the surface, decide to be thankful. I can say, well, you know, thankful for my kids. and no, I'm not. <laughs> thankful for my job. Not really. I believe this is where Moses was. I believe I have evidence for it. Moses had lulled himself into mediocrity, into the mundane. He was herding sheep. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, that he was slow to speech back when he was in Egypt. Moses gives, him that, Moses gives himself that definition. Maybe he had just learned, been talking around the sheep, too. He's like, God, you know. <laughs> That was a bad one, wasn't it? That wasn't. <laughs> but you know, I see the same man who at one point in time was so passionate about the Hebrews that he would jump into the middle of a fight and kill an Egyptian. And then 40 years later, the same guy would stand there and tell God, I can't do it. You see other guys in Scripture with the exact opposite response. You see Caleb a whole generation later. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. Because they had disobeyed God. And when he gets to the edge of the promised land, he's, he's old, he's 80, and he says, I've got as much strength today as I had when I was 40. Send me in. Moses, though, is in the exact opposite situation. He would jump in and kill an Egyptian for harming a Hebrew at 40, and yet at 80, he's going, I'm not your God anymore. Too much time has passed. I've been sheep herding for 40 years. I don't have enough strength to take anything. I don't have enough strength to lead anything. This monotony has gotten to me to the deepest core of who I am, and I've got nothing else to do. I'm not thankful for it. I don't understand it, and I don't like it. So why are you standing here in front of me in a burning bush asking me to do something that you know I'm not capable of? 
And we get to those points and times in our lives where dreams go away, where they just, we just wake up the next morning to do the same thing, and we kind of just plug along through it. The sparkle has left. We're dealing with kids. We're dealing with jobs. We're dealing with cell phones going off in the middle of church. We're dealing with all kinds of things. I'm just playing with you. Like it's the same it was last week. And before we know it, we're unthankful. We've got to muster it up during this time of the year. We've got we to gotta actually work at it. We gotta, it's not a part of who we are. It's just, it's just everybody's doing it now, so I'll do the 21 days of Thanksgiving on Facebook. And I'll come up with some lame things that everybody else is thankful for. The problem was Moses was stuck in a situation that he couldn't back up and look at the whole picture. And oftentimes, that's the story of our lives, right? They say you're in it so much that you can't work on it. And so, so one of the things I think we could do this time of year is we could just back up a little bit. Back up a little bit and go, hey, if, if I could see more, I bet you I could be thankful for more. If I could see more of the picture, more of how it works out, if I could see, if I could see a little broader, if, because, because God does instruct us to be thankful in all circumstances, doesn't he? He wrote to the, th- th- Paul wrote to the first, th- first letter to the Thessalonians and said, hey, be thankful in all circumstances. He's, he wrote to the Philippians and said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every circumstance, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. So he's saying, be thankful in all circumstances. Well, how can I do that? My kids don't listen any better than they did yesterday they do today. They don't listen any better. They're still, they're still teenagers, right? You see, my husband's come home for the last 10 years, and he's taken his muddy boots off in the house for the last 10 years. I've been praying, God, stop him. She fixed Brussels sprouts again. I've had this conversation, God. I don't care if you, I don't care if you boil them in bacon like for three days. They're Brussels sprouts. It's not mashed potatoes. You smashed up some cauliflower. I could smell it when I walked in the house. It's not mashed potatoes. Don't even tell the kids it's mashed potatoes. They're gonna think my Christian parents are lying to me, trying to get me to eat something Satan made. It's not. Good for you to lie to your kids so I trick them into being healthy. And one day you wake up and you're not thankful anymore. Because the thing in your hand has become a liability, not an asset. The thing that you're holding has become the liability of your life. I've got a marriage that's just okay. We're not killing it. We're not rock stars. We're not, we're not teaching a marriage conference. We're not going out telling other people how to do it. We're just okay. So it's not an asset. It's kind of a liability. Because now you're cleaning up after somebody. And that's not the way you planned on it being. Now you're working hard and it doesn't feel like you're appreciated. And that's not the way you planned on it being. Now, now your kids, all they do is stick their hands out for money. And that's not the way you really planned on it being. And so the thing that you thought was going to be an asset in your life in one season is now seems like a liability. But the issue is you got to back up a little bit, right? Because you got to be able to see it from a different perspective. And Thanksgiving will force you into that perspective. you got to thank your way into it. That's what we're calling this, right? That's not the sign for the band to come up. That was a premature one. So watch what happens. Remember I told you that Moses was a sheep herder? 
Well, that's really important because if you go all the way back to Genesis when Joseph ended up being second in charge of Egypt, all, all of his family was going to be coming into Egypt now. He had, he had been, he had opened up to him and said, Hey, it's Joseph, the guy you threw in a pit. I'm here. <laughs> and now I have control of just about everything. And it totally freaked his brothers out. They thought he was going to kill him. And he said, what was meant for evil? God meant for good. It's going to all work out. Go get dad. Bring him back. You guys can live here. But in Genesis, he gives them this instruction. He says, we get in front of Pharaoh. Tell him you're, tell him you're a cattle herder. And he'll let you stay in Goshen. Because sheep herders are an abomination to Egypt. Oh. Sheep herders are an abomination to Egypt. So I started thinking about this. I started thinking, wow. Okay, so God is picking a guy who grew up in Pharaoh's household. He was mentored probably by the best guys Egypt had. He was part of the, he was part of the royalty. He was part of the deal. He knew, he knew how to operate in and out of those political realms. He knew how to make it happen when he needed to make it happen. And now for the last 40 years, he's been hanging out with an abomination. But you got to realize what God was calling him to do. God was calling him to go speak commandments to Pharaoh. So growing up in that household would aid him in that. But he was called to lead people that had never been in the palace. So what God was saying to Moses was, you're my guy. Moses said, I'm not anymore. He said, yes, because I, I, I walked you through a life that allowed you to have feet in both worlds. I allowed you to have feet in royalty, and I allowed you had feet in the place where they think you're an abomination. Oh, by the way, that's the way they thought of Hebrews in general. They were slaves. So why are Hebrews going to look at a guy who never experienced anything they've experienced and go, oh yeah, we'll chase you. That's fine. No, but now Moses shows up with a staff. He's not killing Egyptians anymore. He's trying to lead people. And so God gives him the mindset where he can go in and speak authority to Pharaoh but then also gently lead people out. And that thing in your life that is happening that you're like, man, I don't know if I can be thankful for this. It looks like a liability right now, but God tells Moses, take that thing that you think is a liability and throw it down and watch it turn into something useful. He said, I gave you, I gave you the ability to stand in both worlds and do both things. And some of you, some of you think, man, I grew up in the terrible house. I grew up in this. I grew up in that. It's just a terrible, it's terrible. And, but now I'm not in that. But, it, but you, you look at it as a liability instead of an asset when, when you could say, hey, listen, he gave me feet in both worlds and now I can operate. Now I've got input into both sides of things. Now, now I know what it's like to struggle and I also know what it's like to overcome. And until we back up from our current situation and realize that God sees the big picture and I've got to have you spend 40 years on the backside of the desert because you'll never be able to relate to a people that are always being beaten down until you're that guy. How can I raise you up in the palace and have you walk out and go, okay, everybody follow me. By the way, carry me first. Because that's what I'm used to. Now he says, Moses, the problem is you've given up. The problem is you weren't thankful for the process. The problem is 
The problem is you didn't thank your way into it. The problem is you just gave up. The mundane crushed you. And now you're standing here, a guy who used to take things into his own hands, used to try to affect change. And now you're going, I'm not your God anymore. I don't have the energy. I'm not thankful for what you've done in my life to this point. I don't see how you can do any more. And God says, take that thing that was a liability to you. Take that thing that you know is an abomination to that country that I've called you to speak to. Throw it down. Watch what I do with it. So God wants us to back up a little bit. He wants us to back up and see, and see that he is directing our steps, that he, he knows what's going on. And we can be thankful through the process. We can be thankful and say, God, I, I, this, the, I, I can see what you're doing. I can see how you're changing my life. I can see how you're directing my steps now. I'm thankful for it. And it could be a meaningful thanksgiving. How this? Watch. Can I, can I just get a little practical with you? Next time that bum comes in and throws his dirty boots down in the kitchen. <laughs> Lord, I'm thankful that he works. Thankful that he's faithful. I'm thankful that he's hard working. I'm thankful that he loves me. I'm thankful, God. I'm thankful. You got to thank yourself into it. Because the thing that you see is a liability. I got to clean up that again. It can be the very thing that's providing. I know she put onions in the spaghetti one more time for the last 20 years. Why can't I be thankful, Lord? She thinks enough about me to have dinner. She thinks about enough about our family. She wants to have dinner together. She cares about us. She's a godly woman. I, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. You got to thank your way into it. You can't just sit on the outside and go, it doesn't look like it's working out for me because you can't really see that far. So oftentimes what happens is the mundane crushes us and it takes our spirit away. But through the mundane, we could say, Lord, I'm thankful. I see what you, I, I'm going to back up and see what you're doing. I'm gonna, I could see you orchestrating it. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. You put me on the backside of the desert. Now you're going to take me and take me in front of Pharaoh. I remember how to operate. Oh, yeah, Lord, I see it now. But too often we're saying there going, God, I'm not your guy anymore. We've lost the ability to be thankful that God is still directing our steps, that he's still making them straight, that he's still the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path, that he's still all those things. It just doesn't really, we can't see it. So Moses, Moses finally says, oh man, okay, no more excuses. You're going you're gonna to get my brother who was always better than me. We'll do it. So a guy who God strategically placed every aspect of his life in perfect timing becomes the guy that walks in front of Pharaoh, says, let my people go, walks through the whole process to lead a nation out of slavery. I believe there's people in here right now you say, oh, is he really going to make a link like that? <laughs> I believe there's people in right now can lead a whole nation out of slavery. No, but I, I believe we can lead the next generation. I believe we can lead our county, our city. I believe, I believe we can lead 
all over the place that God sends us. And we could thank our way into using something that we thought was a liability. And now God's all of a sudden using it as an asset. We could thank our way into it. You could turn a marriage around. You could turn a relationship around. You could turn your kids around. Hey, you know what I found out? I get what I appreciate. I get what I appreciate. There's way more gotten with honey. Amen? I'm not saying there's not room for criticism, but, but we do a lot of that. So not, why not when your kid comes home from school, that teenager that you're thinking, man, if they don't get it together, if they don't get it together, why don't you find something to appreciate in them? Why don't you start flipping it around and say, listen, my kids from this day forward will be an asset to my family. And I'm going to start looking at them like that. Because the Bible talks about pulling them out of the quiver and launching them. Why don't I look at them not as, oh, they came back to me for some money. And why don't I look at them and say, listen, you know, I'm thankful for the spirit of God that is in you and that you're, that you're pursuing. I, I'm, I'm thankful that you're this personality. I'm thankful that you're doing this. I'm thankful. Lord, I'm, I'm going to thank my way into raising my kids right. Because I'm frustrated they're 16 and they're doing that 16-year-old thing. Right? But I'm going to thank my way into raising them right. Because God gave you kids as an asset, not a liability. But we get into the mundane and we go, God, you gave me these kids. And he goes, yeah, I did. I thought you'd be smarter with them. So we don't want to end up in front of God like Moses going, I'm not your dude anymore. Wake up tomorrow morning and go, God, I'm thankful for them. It's going to change my perspective what I do with them today. I'm thankful for him, Lord. It's going to change my perspective of how I, what I do with him today. You know what's awesome? Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Stand. This will be the end. Here's something that's awesome. So the gift that God gives us, that oftentimes you look at as a liability, he's turning into an asset, is not a one-trick pony. Because God told Moses, he said, listen, when you get in front of them, if they don't believe you, just throw it down on the ground and then pick it back up. Now, as far as I can read, that's the only instruction he gave Moses at that point. So all Moses knew at the point was one trick. Throw it down, pick it up. Could you imagine he's probably around his friends? He's like, hey, look, watch this, man. This is crazy. Man, like I'm doing, I'm doing kids' birthday parties all of a sudden. Like I'm like, hey, are we inviting the guy that can throw the stick down? Like most, like, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. I can do it. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Then all of a sudden, one day, all of a sudden, one day, they've fled Egypt. God has done a miraculous thing. They get out of Egypt, but now they're on the border of the Red Sea. And they're freaking out because the whole Egyptian army is coming down on top of them. I mean, the chariots, you've seen it. Charlton Heston, you know, like, and, and what happens is, God all of a sudden tells Moses to use that asset in a different way than he had used it before. So all you're thinking about your kids is, man, if I could get them through school, if I could think of not get arrested, if I could get them through, if I could just think of me. And then God all of a sudden says, hey, hey, Moses, hey, Moses, you want to cross the sea? Raise the stick up now. And he goes, you, you, wait a second. You never told me to raise it up. You told me to throw it down. I'm going to show you how to do something different with it now. And those same kids that you were just hoping could get through, now all of a sudden you're looking up going, wow, wow, God, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect you to use it. Wow, I didn't think that same marriage that you thought is going to be the way it is, it's just going to be the way it is. 
but God's all of a sudden, whoa, man, I didn't, man, you told me to raise it up now. I wasn't expecting that. You're using it in a totally different way than I anticipated. You have to thank your way into it. You can't come, you can't come to him every day going, oh man, God, I'm thankful that I know you will use this in a way that I never expected. God, I'm thankful. I know you'll use it in a way that I wasn't anticipating. The story is not over with just as far as I can see. You'll use it in a way that I never dreamed of. I'm thankful. I'm going to thank my way into treating it like you treat it. I'm going to thank my way into it. Amen? Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. God, you're so good to us in every season of our lives. Tell us to be thankful in all circumstances. God, we're going to thank our way into your will today. We're going to thank our way into your destiny for our lives today. We're going to turn things that we once thought was was a liability to an asset. We're going to thank our way into it, Lord. And we can do it through your strength. And you will do what we never anticipated. We thank you for it this morning. We have great anticipation. Go with us today, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and glory one more time?